Romans 8, verse 28 to 30. This is our overarching text for the series in which we're currently engaged. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And then if you'll turn back just one book to the book of Acts and chapter 13. Acts and chapter 13. From verse 13 in that chapter, we're not going to read the whole section, but Paul and his party arrive in Pisidian Antioch. There are two Antiochs, one in Syria and one in this place, Pisidia. And when he arrives there, he goes in and preaches in the synagogue. And he does something very similar to what... um, Uh, Stephen did when he preached he gives first of all a a, a brief but sweeping history of the nation and then he drives in at the verse 23 that according to the promise from David's seed God raised up for Israel a saviour Jesus and then he concentrates primarily on the, the reputation and the actions of our Lord Jesus Christ focusing on his death and then his resurrection in accordance with some of those particular prophecies that were made. Verse 38 begins the Apostles' conclusion. Acts 13, verse 38. Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him... Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despise us, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes... They were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
Let's ask God's help once again. More light this evening, we pray, O God. More understanding, more affection, more grasp of the truth by us and more grasp of the truth upon us. Lord, will you show us, teach us, enlighten us, instruct us, delight our souls with this so great salvation. Show us more of Christ and his saving sufficiency. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Whom God predestined, these he also called. Whom God called, these he also justified. And this with the intention, with the aim, that those who are predestined and called and justified and ultimately glorified should be conformed to the image of his Son, that his Son might be the firstborn among many brothers and so be much glorified in the salvation of all his people. These are the acts of God in salvation, predestination, calling, justification and glorification. And one of the things that we're trying to do as we study them is to understand how our experience is explained by them and how our experience of being saved and some of our responses to these things fit in with them. So last week we made our way from calling towards justification by way of conversion. We were in Acts and chapter 3. And we saw how the Apostle Peter, when the crowds came running together to see that man who was made to walk and to leap there in the porch of Solomon in the temple, said that if you repent and turn to God, then your sins will be blotted out and times of refreshment will come from the face of God. This then brings us to justification. For when God calls, he justifies We've swallowed up regeneration in that effectual call so that the Spirit brings the word with power to the hearts of sinners like us. And we are turned to God, turning because we have been turned. And now we are asking, what then is the consequence of conversion? What does it mean for God having called us and brought us to himself in Christ now to justify us? Well, if you're in the Sunday school classes or the adult Bible class, you know what justification is. Justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners effectually called to Jesus Christ, wherein he pardons all their sins and accepts them as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to them and received by faith alone. But we've said the danger is that we look at a word... We explain the word and we go away without much sense of what that word means to us, how that word impacts upon us. It would be like me uh, taking a, a real orange. I don't mean one of these things that has been on a freezer for about eight months and has finally made its way to a crate somewhere in Tesco's or Sainsbury's. I mean an apple plucked an apple. <laughs> we, or an apple. Let's, let's stick with an orange. <laughs> an orange plucked from a Sicilian tree and you can smell them coming and the peel just comes away from them 
And I could describe something of the smell. You, you, you know the orangey, citrusy scent. And I could talk about the lusciousness of the fruit. I could talk about how it's almost translucent in the light. You don't have to worry too much about you know, half an inch of pith that comes away. Think, How am I even going to get to the fruit underneath that? And as you begin to pull it apart, the juice begins to, to dribble down upon your fingers. And then the, the pungent scents arise. Oh, it's a glorious thing. But I can't taste it. I've described it to you, but you can't really taste it. And the trouble is, sometimes with these big words, you can describe them, but you don't taste them. You can understand what they mean, but you haven't appreciated the beauty of them. And what we're trying to do then, when we're looking at this language, when we're trying to understand this vocabulary, is to dive into it and to see it at work in practice. How this fits together, what it means for us, what it means for you, brother or sister, if you are a justified man or woman, having been called by God to Jesus Christ... And what it means for you if you are not yet in Christ, to have Christ offered to you for justification. And we're going to see it again then in the apostolic preaching and in the response to it. And it brings us close to home. It brings it face to face with us and for us. And for that, we're going to go to Pisidian Antioch, where this man, Paul the Apostle, is preaching, first of all, to the Jews in the synagogue and then to the Gentiles in the city. And we're going to begin by understanding that Jesus is identified and proclaimed, that the Lord Jesus is identified and proclaimed. Now, see the continuity between Acts chapter 3, when Peter preaches, and Acts chapter 13, when Paul preaches. Remember, the crowds come, and they're looking at this man who's leaping and, and running around the temple porch because he's been healed from his lifelong affliction. And then they're looking at Peter and, jo and John, and they're saying, well, how did you men do this? And Peter says, in effect, now don't look at him, and don't look at us, look at Jesus Christ. It is faith in his name that has made this man strong. Peter has done that in Jerusalem. Paul does it in Pisidian Antioch. He preaches Jesus Christ to them. Because there is no basis for faith without knowing the Jesus of the Bible. There is no call for faith unless it is faith in the Christ of God presented in the Scriptures. I think we said last time, if I say to you, believe, or what? In whom? To what end or purpose? What am I believing in? Who am I believing in? Why do I need to believe? What is it that I need to lay hold upon in order that I may have life? Now look with me a little more in depth now at the way that the Apostle Paul preaches Jesus in Antioch, identifying him and proclaiming him. He sets him first before us as a true man in verse 23. From David's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a saviour, Jesus. This Jesus then is the son of David. 
He is a true man. He is really and fully human. And he was raised up for Israel and raised up in Israel. And in fact, as Paul goes on, he he wants them to remember that you know this history. You've heard of these things. You know the words that this Jesus spoke. You know the deeds that he performed. You know the death that he died. The Jesus of the Bible is a true man. He is as human as you or I. But furthermore, he is the appointed saviour. God raised up for Israel a saviour, Jesus. You could almost say a saviour called saviour. A saviour called salvation. Verse 26. Men and brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you what? The word of this salvation has been sent. And then again in verse 32. We declare to you glad tidings, the promise which was made to the fathers. There is good news here for you. And it's the name of Jesus which is the good news. It's the name of Jesus which is the word of salvation. I think so much as to say that he himself is the word of salvation. Then he is the promised deliverer. Again, verse 23 of the seed of David. God raised up according to the promise didn't just come out of the blue it was according to the promise that God raised up for Israel a saviour Jesus verse 27 those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not know him nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every sabbath if you knew the prophets then you would know Jesus of Nazareth verse 29 when they had fulfilled what all that was written concerning him Verse 32, we declare the promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children. And that verse 34, he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. Verse 35, therefore he also says in another psalm. That the Jesus of the Bible fits the prophecies of the Old Testament the way a key fits in the lock for which it was made. He is, in every detail, the one who was foretold. Then he was the innocent sufferer. Verse 28, they found no cause for death in him. He was without guilt. He was without sin. He was personally guilt-free. No one could bring any charge against him in terms of his own personal disobedience to the law of his God and Father. Then again, he was the crucified Christ, because though they found no cause for death in him, verse 28, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. And when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, And there's a whole wealth of detail of suffering and agony in that sentence. They took him down from the tree, from the place where they had hung him, and they laid him in a tomb. He died as a cursed criminal. He died under the righteous wrath of a holy God. But he is, furthermore, a risen king. But God raised him from the dead and he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. 
God did not just raise him from the dead. Everybody saw that he had been raised from the dead. There were abundant proofs. There were multiple witnesses. Many people had seen him for many days. There were countless evidences that he was no longer dead, who had been taken down from the tree dead and laid in a tomb. God raised him from the dead. And he was therefore the divine son. God has fulfilled this, verse 33, for us their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And so he says as well in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. Here we have another way of saying what Paul does in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And in fulfilling all these prophecies, you are able to discern that the man who died and rose again was none other than the incarnate Son of God. And so he is now the glorified Lord. God did not allow his Holy One to see corruption. He is the inheritor of the covenant promises, sure, sweet and fixed, that God had made with David. David served his own generation by the will of God. He fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But the one whom God raised up saw no corruption. He lives and he lives forever and no one can topple him from his throne and he will never fade or fail. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, there is the Jesus identified and proclaimed. It is this Man who is at the very heart of the gospel. This man who is the gospel. He is the word of salvation. Every promise of God has made points to him. And there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no justification with God without him or apart from him. Now, Paul does it in a great deal more detail than we understand Peter to have done it in Solomon's porch. But it is the same Jesus who is preached. And it happens again and again and again where the apostles are making Christ known. When they come with this a great gospel gun, as it were, and lay it against those who do not know God and his Redeemer, they proclaim this man. This is the, the stuff that they always bring to bear as you work your way through the epistles. When Paul says, remember what I said to you, what could you do? You could almost go back to Antioch in Pisidia and say, yep, that's the Jesus that you preached. We told you that he had to suffer and die and the third day be raised again from the dead. Sometimes we do it in greater detail. Sometimes we boil it down to the, the merest facts. But this is the man. This is the saviour. This is the redeemer. And it means, brothers and sisters, that if anyone today is going to be saved from their sins, we must preach this man to them. We must speak of this Jesus. And that means you need to know him. It means you need to know him for yourself. Not just know about him, 
but delight in him the way Paul delighted in him. Trust him the way Paul trusted in him. Be taken up with him the way Paul was taken up with him. Be persuaded regarding him the way Paul was persuaded regarding him. You must identify this Jesus. You cannot water down the biblical data. You cannot dilute the truth as it is in Christ. You cannot pull away from the elements that modern man and woman with all their scepticism think that they're, they're not worthy to be taken account of. You cannot take out the parts that are obnoxious to men in all their self-righteousness and all their intellectual arrogance. This Jesus is the son of God, he is the son of man, he is the son of David, he is the promised redeemer, he is the crucified saviour, he is the risen Christ, he is the reigning Lord, and without him there is no salvation for any one of us, let alone for anybody else. Jesus must be identified and proclaimed. And because of him, salvation can be declared and offered. See, this is the joy of it. This is the thrill of it. This is the excitement and the expectation of it. Because Paul knows the needs of sinful men and women like me and you. Paul knows that we are sick and that we need this medicine. Paul knows that we are dead and that we need life. Paul knows that we have sinned and that we need to be forgiven. Paul knows that we are wretched in ourselves and the only way that we can have peace with God is if somehow we are reconciled to him and made acceptable in his sight. And so Paul is not saying... I'm, you know, when I preach these sorts of things, I have to, I've got the brakes on at the moment. If that's any consolation, if you think we've been galloping for the last 20 minutes, I'm trying not to go any faster. I'm trying not to, thank you, brother. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to not get so excited that you can't follow me, both for speed and for where I think I'm going. Why? Because it should not be possible for us to say... So I want you to know about a man called Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of God. That means he's a divine person. He was the son of David. That means he's descended from that king. He comes down through the line. He's a really great saviour. All the promises point to him. That's all true. Do you think that's how Paul preached in Pisidian Antioch? Can you, can you read it? Look at it again with me. Try and put yourself in the synagogue. Men and brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Paul, verse 16, stood up, motioning with his hand, and he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen, pay attention. I've got something to say to you. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they... Even his history is thrilling, isn't it? Even his sense of what God has done in times past lifts this whole thing and lays the foundation. And then when he comes to verse 23, from this man David's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a saviour, Jesus, after John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Can you hear him saying... So I want you to know that through this man is preached the forgiveness of sins. Does he feel like that himself? 
Do you think the people to whom he preaches are feeling like this at this point? No, this is a sermon. This is forceful. And even if we are not in the pulpit, even if we're on the streets or with our children or amongst our friends, let them know that this Jesus matters to you and needs to matter to them. Why? Because through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by this man, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul says this man is the answer to the two most pressing questions that you can ever imagine having to answer. How can I be clean in the sight of a holy God? And how can I be righteous in the sight of a righteous God? How can I be clean in God's sight? And my friends, it's the same answer as Peter had in Acts chapter 3. That if you repent and are converted, that when you repent of your sins and turn to God, what did Peter say? Your sins shall be blotted out. We sometimes use the phrase, don't we? Tabula rasa, a blank slate. That's a refreshment. It's a total new beginning. It's the same in Acts chapter 10 and verse 43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, not just in some random way, but through the name of Jesus, whoever believes in him will receive what? Remission of sins. Pardon, full and complete and pure, final and absolute. If you trust in Jesus, says Paul, if you trust this Jesus, if you trust in the man that I have described to you, the man who's portrayed through all the scriptures of God, when I preach him to you, you may have the forgiveness of your sins. The moment that you believe in him, All your guilt and shame is once and for all taken away. The pardon is full. The pardon is free. The pardon is final. There is now nothing left of the record of your sin in the sight of God. You have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And though your sins were like scarlet, now they are white as snow. It's done and it's gone and the record of every transgression and iniquity against God has been entirely taken out of the equation. Your sin is taken away and God remembers it no more. And then by him everyone who believes and hears our language is justified from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses so how can a sinner be righteous in the sight of God how can you go from being a man or a woman a boy or a girl under condemnation to being approved by God how can you go from being under the wrath of the Holy One of Israel to being embraced by his hand and brought into his kingdom. And there's really only two possibilities that men can consider. The first of them is works. Can you work hard enough? Can you do enough? Can you obey enough? The law of Moses. You know the law of Moses especially if you're a Jew in Pisidian Antioch in the synagogue. At least most of you here have some sense of the Ten Commandments. 
Have you obeyed them? No. Not the first table and not the second table. You have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. You have not loved your neighbour as yourself. You have fallen short of the glory of God. The law of Moses, even if we boil it down to the Ten Commandments, will not justify you. What does the law do? It exposes you. You shall have no other gods before me. Then I deserve hell. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Then I deserve hell. You shall not worship God by any image or any other way not appointed in his word. Then I deserve to be in hell. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day, that's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. For us, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. If I am to work hard for six days and I am to rest in Christ and worship him on the seventh, then I deserve to be in hell, for I have not done that. Have you honoured your father and your mother? Have you kept yourself pure in thought and in word and in deed? Are you free from envy and covetousness? Is there any hatred in your soul? My friends, the law exposes us. The law accuses us. The law by no means acquits us. When we come up against the standard of the law, it damns us. It utterly condemns us. Our best efforts fall short of the glory of God. Your righteousnesses. Your highest attainments in moral excellence are like filthy rags in the eyes of the altogether holy God. You cannot be made right with God by obedience to the law of Moses. The best obedience of your hands dares not, dares not claim to have obeyed the law's demands. There is nothing that you can do in yourself. Even if from this moment on, think of it, even if from this moment on you could guarantee perfect obedience to the law of God, what would you do about the sins that have gone before? Can you over-obey so as to make up for what lies in the past? My friends, when we think about our standing with God and when we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word, we say, by my own efforts, I cannot be justified. But this, through this man, is preached to you first of all the forgiveness of sins. Trust in him and every transgression, every law breaking, every iniquity, every falling short, it is put away. And with regard to your standing before God, by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Not works, but faith. Faith in Jesus Christ as the perfect provision of God for your sinful soul. Everyone who Believes. Is that not joyful? It's not about what you do. 
It's not about how hard you try. It's not about what you were. And it's not about what you will be. It is about this man, this perfect man, this righteous man, this innocent man, this man in whom there was no sin, this man who was the seed of David, this man who was the son of God, this man who walked in perfect obedience before the Lord his God, his heavenly father, every moment of his life. And Paul says, if you will only grasp this man, if you will entrust your soul to this man, if you will rely upon him and all that he is and the things that he has done, then God will prove himself to you just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the wonder of salvation. God does not abandon truth and righteousness. God magnifies it. God does not turn his back upon holiness. God underscores it and elevates it. What did we read? The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. The righteousness that is his is divine and it is received by faith so that we, clothed in righteousness divine, can come to God accepted in the beloved. It is so far from works. It is not then, Romans 4 and verse 5, it is not to him who works, but to him who believes on him. You must stop working. You must stop working to be right with God. Now you know that often and often I will insist upon the duty of believers in Jesus Christ to work for the glory of God from this pulpit. But you cannot and must not work for righteousness with God. You must give up every notion of your own acceptability. You need to stop asking yourself, what must I do and what can I do in order that I might make myself right with God? It is not a question of who you are. It is a question of who he is. It is not what you can accomplish. It's not how much you have done this or that, how many prayers you've prayed, how many chapters you've read, how many tears you've wept, how many efforts you've invested. You cannot save yourself. Please stop trying. You will tie yourself in knots. You will spin yourself into the pit. You will lose yourself in endless anguishes about whether you are good enough and can remain good enough. And you will be forever trapped when somebody says, are you a Christian? Are you on your way to heaven? I hope so. You do not need to hope in that sense. You need to know and the knowledge of salvation rests not upon your accomplishments, but upon his. You are justified from all the things which even a Jew could not be justified from with regard to the law of Moses. To him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. 
so that Paul can reach Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and tell you that there is now no condemnation. There's the opposite of justification. No condemnation but justification. No condemnation for whom? For those who are believing in Jesus Christ. Because your sin has been washed away and you have been clothed by God with the divine righteousness of Jesus Christ which has been given to you because you have trusted in him which faith is yours because when God called you repented and turned to Jesus Christ that your sins might be forgiven and that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. My friends, it is immediate, it is personal, it is glorious. When you trust in this Jesus, God takes all the perfections of his righteousness and he wraps them around you. So that from that moment on, every dealing that God has with you is based not on what you have been or will be. Not on what you have done, can do, or yet will do. But on the perfected accomplishments of Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So God no longer looks at you except through him. In Christ Jesus and therefore declared righteous by God with regard to his law. And that is peace with God. Having been justified, says Paul to the Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, you sing it. Do you know it? Here he smiles and smiles forever. God smiles upon those who trust in Jesus. He cannot not smile because he sees you as he sees his own son. That's the wonder of it. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see how foundational this is? Do you see how this thrills and attracts and drives the apostolic witness? Do you see how this is absolutely central and crucial and fundamental? That through this man is preached to you, to you, the forgiveness of sins. And by him and by faith in his name, you can be justified from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And so sinners, sinners like us, can be invited and warned. Don't you love it the way... The apostle pleads with these people, even from the very beginning. Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Listen to me, says the apostle. I've got something for you. I've got someone for you. And verse 38, let it be known to you, brothers. Get this, says Paul. Understand this. Lay hold of this. Grasp this. Trust the man that I am preaching to you. Understand, let it be known that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. But verse 40, 
Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despise us. Marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. That's terrifying. Here is Jesus, says the Apostle. Here is the man of God. Here is the saviour of sinners. Here is the incarnate son. Here is the seed of David. Here is the promised deliverer. Here is the risen king. Here is the reigning Lord. Here is the uncorrupted and incorruptible saviour. God has worked that work. What will you do with him? And so when the Jews went out of the synagogue... The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, I love this as well, because the Gentiles didn't come and say, well, it's all right for the Jews. They couldn't be justified by the things that the law of Moses required, but they have Jesus. What do you have for us? Who's our saviour? What's our confidence? To whom can we turn? Who has the words of eternal life for us? Who's the other saviour that we need, Paul? No, the Gentiles themselves begged, Paul, tell us the same thing. Come and talk to us about Jesus. Come and speak to us of the same man from whom we can receive the forgiveness of sins and in whom we can be accepted with God. And the Paul and Barnabas, they come back the following week and they talk to them and the whole city comes and the Jews, they don't hear the good news now. They see the crowds and they're angry. They don't want these people coming to Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, you're turning your back upon the word of salvation You judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. And so look, we are turning to the Gentiles. This is what the Lord has commanded us. I've set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. This is Christ, and this is the proclamation of his name. Here are these ambassadors of the Lord Jesus and they are the light of the world because they're speaking Jesus to these multitudes. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Do you want to put that a different way? The people in Antioch of Pisidia whom he predestined, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also Justified because they came to the Jesus through whom sin can be forgiven and in whom there is justification from all the things that human obedience to the divine law can never secure. It's always through this man, for Jews and for Greeks, for the nation of God and the nations of the world. Beware, despise us. Beware despisers. Beware despisers. When Christ is proclaimed, if you reject this good news, if you turn your back upon this man, then there is no salvation for you. Not because God doesn't like you, 
Not because Jesus isn't good enough for you. Not because there's a lack of something in Christ. And not notice. Because God didn't call you and so it's not your fault. You reject it. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. That's what you do when Christ is held out and in him the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of God to make you accepted in his sight. That would be you saying, I don't want him and I don't need this. Marvel and perish. And that's terrifying. Because you can go out from this building this evening marvelling and perishing judging yourself unworthy of everlasting life. And you know what the wonder is? Some of you may have done it last week and the week before and the week before and the week before. And yet God has spared you and God has brought you once again and tonight you are hearing once again that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins do not despise him tonight do not reject him this evening I plead with you now lest you should perish in your sins come to the man in whom God forgives come to the man by whom God accepts sinners like us you're a Gentile you get the same message the word of salvation is to you also. And they had the wit not to say, please would you just tell us, we want you to preach to us, Paul. We want to hear about this man. We want to know about why he is the answer to our own sinful condition. It is the same light of the world that shines upon all. It is the same word of salvation that comes to sinners across the globe in every time and place. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which anyone here or elsewhere, now and for as long as this world endures, by which you must be saved. It is Jesus the Nazarene. It is the Son of God. It is the seed of David. It is the crucified man who is innocent, pure, and perfect, who rose again from the dead, who saw no corruption who is seated now at the right hand of the majesty on high and will come again at the end of the world to judge the world in righteousness, that man whom God has appointed. You can be out of here this evening in gladness and in glory. If this is your Jesus, you should be. If this becomes your Jesus... You shall be. The Gentiles heard that God had set Christ by his preachers as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And the Gentiles were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. God called. And God calls still. And the God of all the earth, merciful, kind.
kind, gracious, most righteous, most just, most holy, most loving, most gracious. That God says that if you will trust in my Jesus this evening, your sins will be blotted out. That by which you deserve hell will be taken away from you now and forever. And you can be justified. You will be by faith in this man from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. If you trust this man, if you cast yourself upon this man, if you abandon all your own efforts and endeavours and throw yourself body and soul upon Jesus of Nazareth as he is presented to you in the scriptures, if you will now repent and turn to God, if you will believe in him whom God has raised from the dead, you must be justified. God will show himself just because your sin has been punished in that Christ. God will show himself just because that divine righteousness will be put to your account. God will be just and the justifier of whoever has faith in Jesus. And you will have now and always peace with God, accepted in the beloved, assured of your salvation, and guaranteed for everything which follows on. For those whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Amen.